0: friends, welcome to my podcast, Thinking About the Brain. I'm your host, Ashley Clark, and today we're going to be discussing the book, You're Not Listening, What You're Missing and Why It Matters. Welcome to the very first episode. I'm so excited to have you guys here and to be starting this podcast. As I mentioned in the trailer, um, this podcast is meant for anyone that's interested in learning more about the brain. I myself am a PhD student studying Brain and Cognitive Sciences at the University of Rochester. I wanted to create a space where people can learn both about books as well as scientific journal articles discussing different parts of psychology breadth of this podcast will include not only just um, like cognitive psychology and neuroscience, but also all the way to mental health. So today's book I thought was particularly appropriate as you are all listening to me on this podcast. I really liked a lot of different parts of this book, but before I dive in, There are a couple parts of every piece of literature that we analyze that I will go over. And so the first part that I like to kind of give some background to is about the author. And so the author of You're Not Listening is Kate Murphy. She is a Houston, Texas-based journalist who has written for many different publications, including New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, The Economist, Texas Monthly, as well as um, Agents France Press, which I probably said wrong. She, as I mentioned, is a journalist, and she has a lot of experience in not only writing different pieces of work, but also interviewing people. So listening for her is a really critical skill that she uses in her job. Another part of every piece of literature that we'll be going over includes the um, this quick summary of the book. So to give you my uh, short summary, the book starts off with explaining how we're all conditioned to be bad listeners. In today's society, we're constantly bombarded with information and a lot of time our success depends on how much of that information can be absorbed. Sometimes when information doesn't come fast enough or seems irrelevant to our interests, we start to stop listening. Most of our life is organized in a way to optimize our time and in getting information that we want. When, you know, When you think about your phones, we have Facebook, and we have specific people that we follow on Twitter. On our computers, we subscribe to news and topics that we're interested in. All of these different places and platforms allow for skimming and getting the gist of different stories and information. However, we can't really scroll through our friends, family, and colleagues. The art of listening comes down to the gift of giving your full attention to someone, no matter the speed or relevance. The book goes on to describe the many benefits of mindfully listening as both the listener as well as the person being listened to. One reason why I picked up this book um, was I was looking through my local bookstore and I kind of stumbled across um, this cute cover that's got like a colorful ear on it, and of course, you know, because all books you can tell exactly what they're like just by looking at the cover. I uh, picked it up and I started kind of reading the back of it, and I know that I've experienced this, and I'm sure you have too. When you're trying really hard to listen to someone or a story and you find your mind kind of drifting around and it's difficult to really keep your attention on the conversation. However, recently I had kind of an opposite experience where I had a really meaningful conversation with a friend. It was one of those conversations that seemingly started off as normal, but I was really um, invested in her story And the details, and I could tell that she too was uh, really emotionally moved by what was going on in her life. Seeing that in her, I decided to make a conscious effort to listen and to really just hear what she was saying and absorb it and reflect on it. And, you know, what was supposed to be a quick coffee date for 20 minutes ended up being a conversation for almost three hours. Not only was she really thankful, and I think walked away feeling really heard. But I also felt like I had a stronger connection with her as well as a skill in listening. So it was kind of was already in the back of my mind in that like, what skills can I start to incorporate more into my daily listening habits? I've talked with friends since reading the book, and I don't think that this is a complete unique experience and that we all really have had meaningful conversations where either we felt heard or we really were engaged in listening. And there are some skills and habits that you can pick up to incorporate more often in your daily life. So that starts me off on the beginning of the book, so I've gone through my short summary and why I picked this book. Another really critical part to all the literature that I'll be reviewing in this podcast is what I call the proof in the pudding. So there are lots of different pieces of literature. Like when you think about fiction, you know, it doesn't necessarily matter who else is involved in the story other than the author because it's a lot of opinion or ideas and creativity. I do find, though, that uh, psychology books and scientific journal articles, however, must be based off of literature, like previous literature and citations. It's usually not a problem when reading peer-reviewed articles, uh, mostly because you can't really get published unless you have citations, and they're very clear and easy to find. Psychology books, on the other hand, come in a wide variety of flavors. I recently picked up a book that I started reading and I realized that the author was making zero effort to cite any work or science behind the claims they were making. It was all experience based, which is fine if you're writing fiction. Like I said, if you're claiming, you know, to be based off of scientific evidence, it's really important that you share exactly what that evidence is. I have two major sections The author herself, Kate, as I mentioned, she's a journalist and she personally has a lot of experience in listening to people. She also has many citations and resources in her book. Normally, when you flip to the back of the book, you can see the whole list, and she has uh, about 222 resources. So this is um, good as far as her experience and her proper citation uses and definitely something that I value in my evaluation of a book. Okay, now we can actually jump into the actual summary and outline of the book. You're not listening. So the way that I normally do this is I'm going to kind of go through the sections that I've created. Um, The book has several chapters and I've kind of categorized it into uh, six major themes. And those sections include the neuroscience behind listening, um, why listening can sometimes be difficult, how listening to opposing views is also hard, how to be able to actually listen to yourself and talk to yourself, how to support conversations, how gossip can actually be a good thing, and when to learn to stop listening. Now again, these sections are directly from her book, Uh, They're just the highlighted parts that really spoke to me, which is why I'm choosing to talk about them. The beginning of the book talks about how we're really bad at listening, and a lot of us know it, too. (laughs) Of course, you know, we don't think about it about ourselves, but when you reflect about your own experiences in being heard, we often feel ignored or misunderstood by those around us. Some specific behaviors that reflect, you know, uh, someone not listening to you, which she lists out in the book includes uh, interrupting. If the other person responds vaguely or illogically with what you're saying, they're like looking at their phone or looking around, kind of fidgeting in their chair. And, you know, hearing that list, we've all experienced someone kind of performing those activities when you're telling a story. It does immediately kind of make you feel like you're not being heard or quite understood on a deeper level. Listening and being heard is so ingrained biologically that it's no wonder we behave this way in wanting to be heard. The author goes on to explain how listening is one of the first senses that we develop and use as infants and parents use it and viscerally react to it when they hear their children or babies crying. Even more, uh, research has shown that there are moments of sinking that happen uh, between two individuals. Dr. Yuri Hassan, who is a professor of psychology and neuroscience at Princeton, uh, studies the synchronization of cortical activity uh, between individuals. They have found this using an fMRI scan. In the paper, How We Transmit Memories to Other Brains, Constructing Shared Neural Representations Via Communication, which was published in 2017 in Cerebral Cortex. Specifically, this study has looked at the parent and child connections and how specific parts of the brain are activated at the same time in both individuals, when this connection kind of uh, occurs. So while this happens, like I said, in a lot of parent-child connections, it can also occur with friends, family, and colleagues. As I said, the beginning of the book really tries to highlight that it's really frustrating and difficult when we don't feel heard, Uh, but it's also a skill that we can easily develop if we take the time to, specifically in listening. So we know that we like to be heard, right? But why are we so bad at listening then? And it's just that. She goes on to explain in the book, when you start listening to people talk, you innately start making assumptions about what they're going to say next. As I mentioned, we're constantly on our phones and we're skimming and we're scrolling and you can read the title of an article and a lot of us go, oh, this article's going to talk about that. Am I interested? Yes, no. And then you make a decision to keep scrolling or to click on it. When you're listening to someone, you don't really have that freedom to skip if you're not interested. Or you can, but then you're called very rude, right? And so you start to kind of make assumptions and maybe steer the conversation. It's really important to note, though, that you can never truly, to a full extent, know someone else's mind. Probably the first thing you think of is someone close to you and you think, well, I'm pretty sure that I know a lot about that person, right? It might be a spouse or a best friend or a child, but you really cannot understand someone entirely ever, <laughs> even with the most amount of listening that is possible. That's a really key first thing to understand both about yourself and about other people around you. One example that Kate Murphy, the author, lists, you know, there are stories where you're sitting at, you know, a cocktail party, maybe, like I said, with your spouse or your best friend, and they say something, and all of a sudden, you think to yourself, well, I've never heard that. How can that be? Um, And it's because, you know, we have a specific perception and state of mind that we talk to someone in, especially if you're maybe more of a passive listener then you're not asking the right questions, or should I say the same questions that someone else would ask. So again, it's really key to recognize the fact that you can't know someone completely. This also leads to this idea of, um, it's called social signaling theory or social identity theory. The author states how these are two different, but related theories that date back to at least the 1970s And they primarily focus on how human beings indirectly communicate uh, different status and values. Essentially what happens is you see something um, about someone else and you start to make some assumptions about what they're like. For example, you see someone wearing, you know, a specific band t-shirt that's super punk, let's say. You might make some assumptions about their lifestyle, saying, oh, I bet either kind of rebellious or you know, fill in the blank, right? We do this a lot with political parties and religion. This is also a dangerous step in the fact that you start making assumptions about someone else and, you know, assuming maybe what their ideas are on a topic or what they're going to say next. It's also really difficult when you start talking to somebody and, um, you know, you have opposing views about something. The book talks about this in terms of feeling like you're being chased by a bear. And that's because a group of neuroscientists at the Brain and Creativity Institute at the University of Southern California, Los Angeles, found using an fMRI study again, that similar brain areas light up in the same way when you're arguing with somebody or sharing opposing views as when you're being chased by a bear. (laughs) And this is that fight or flight response. Further, when we're being challenged, we often are just thinking about what they're saying is wrong. You know, we're trying to poke holes in their argument. The author goes on to explain, however, we're not necessarily reflecting and thinking about the evidence against our thoughts, right? What are they saying that's true? You can get a lot more out of a conversation if you can do both, but it requires active listening to their side of the story. This ability to weigh options and kind of self-reflect is also the way that we develop our own sense of self and talking to yourself. So your ability to listen to others can really determine the tone and quality of your inner dialogue. Kate Murphy goes on to explain, these types of interactions and this back and forth teach us how to question and answer within our own mind. You know, you may be faced with a problem at work or in the grocery store even, right? And oftentimes we find ourselves kind of going back and forth about what the right answer is. If you don't engage with others, you may not ever fully develop that ability or you won't have it finely tuned. This also can shape, like I said, the tone of your voice in the book You're Not Listening The author spends a good amount of time talking about how this really ends up shaping your sense of self. In some sense, some people have a really, like, self-abusive inner dialogue where everything that goes wrong is your own fault and you put it back on you. Other times, people have this faulty inner dialogue where they end up putting it out on others. Oh, everything is their fault, it's not on me. And so being able to accurately assess situations and having this moment where you're talking to yourself is finely tuned based on our conversations with others, specifically with being able to listen to others and see their point of view. This also goes with kind of uh, listening to their story and knowing how to respond appropriately. It's explained in the book. There's two different ways that a conversation can go if you're listening to someone. Either you end up supporting the conversation as they converse, uh, you can also shift it. So if you want to kind of change direction. Now, it's not only just about asking relevant questions here, but it's about keeping the conversation actually supported. An actual example that I can give you guys is last night, my dog had a really rough night and we ended up kind of going outside a bunch for her to go to the bathroom. Now, a supportive response would be something of, oh, no, what was going on? Like, how many times did you guys go out? Where did, what, you know, is she okay now? Where a shifted response would be something along the lines of, oh, yeah, you know, sometimes my dog does that and this is what I do, XXX. If you continue to support the conversation, the speaker feels more supported. It also can kind of give clues that you're being an active listener to what they're saying and you're not just kind of turning it around. This can also go with different types of conversations. We can feel these shifts even in conversations like gossip, which is not always all bad. They find in a lot of social studies that learning how to talk to each other and yourself a about others can give you a lot of information about what is socially acceptable in your area. Understanding that if in the workplace you eat other people's lunches, <laughs> people are going to get upset. Maybe you didn't know that before, right? And so you can make more informed decisions about your actions. Listening to those kinds of things has shown to be beneficial for culture and development, However, it also comes with a burden. So not all information is equally worth the same. The author gives an example, you know, I'm sure we've all had these conversations where you lean in and you say, oh my gosh, did you hear that like so-and-so did this? Right, kind of the juicy gossip. Uh, That information is maybe worth a little bit more than knowing that, oh yeah, so-and-so moved last weekend. It definitely depends on your definition of worth, or I call juice, but some information that you hear is maybe not as widely known, and that tends to have a direct relationship with uh, how much it's worth, and you want to be wise with that. It's equally important to know when to listen as it is to know when not to listen right? So you're listening to others is a gift. Towards the end of the book, the author describes how uh, according to the British language philosopher and theorist Paul Grice, when we're listening to others, we have four main expectations. Those expectations include maximum quality, maximum quantity, maximum relation, and maximum manner. Okay, what do those mean? When we're expecting uh, quality, we're expecting the truth. We don't want our friends and colleagues to be lying to us when we're listening. We also expect quantity, so the information we don't already know we wanna listen to, and we also don't want so much that we start to become overwhelmed. Maximum relation is this expectation of your story or the information kind of having a logical flow. We also have maximum manner, which is we expect the information in the story to be reasonably brief, orderly, and unambiguous. When these expectations are violated, the story that you're listening to kind of starts to fall apart or starts to become uncomfortable. This happens a lot with people with dementia who start to have these conversations that don't really have a logical flow, and it becomes really difficult to kind of engage and follow and respond appropriately. However, even when you have these violations, Kate encourages you don't give up too soon. (laughs) Sometimes people just need to kind of establish some trust to keep talking. Sometimes it may take more than one conversation to truly hear someone. So it's really worth your patience to take your time and reflect on what people are saying even if it's maybe not as quickly as you expect it to come. Again, we can't scroll through our family and friends. It's not rare for people to often feel ashamed and embarrassed or even guilty when you listen well, especially when you reflect on what they're saying back to them. As I mentioned, we live in a world where truly listening is rare. Most people, when you ask who actually listens to them in their life, often only have less than a handful of people. Maybe they say a spouse, a best friend, a therapist, or sometimes it's no one at all. Ultimately, the take home of this book is to be mindful and intentional where you give and withhold your gift of listening. Now, some questions for you to kind of think about as you move on with your day. I encourage you to really think about people in your life that maybe you have a hard time listening to. Why do you think it's difficult? Are they violating maybe some of the assumed expectations? Are they challenging your beliefs? Another question that I have is, what way can you be more mindful in your conversation with others? Maybe it's actively putting your phone away during conversations. Perhaps choosing not to respond with your thoughts, but rather encouraging their current story and feelings. Not shifting the conversation, but supporting it. Okay, well that concludes the very first episode of Thinking About the Brain, the podcast where we use our brains to think about our brains. We just finished uh, reviewing the book You're Not Listening, again by Kate Murphy which you can find at your local bookstore um, as well as on uh, audiobook. I most graciously thank you for your attention and your listening, and I hope to have you visit me next time. I hope you have a wonderful day and peace to you.